Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt Santi, and today on the show, uh, Dan Hodgins. And, Hi there. And Richard Cohen. Hello, everyone. And we are here to respond to this anonymous quote. This is our quote. I'm fucking sick of talking and hearing about universal child care or universal pre-K. See, I can't even say it. I'm so mad about it. <laughs> oh, but it wasn't you. You said it was an anonymous quote. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. Um, Restate the quote. Oh, I'm that so person's quote. I'm, really I'm not. I'm not saying that it's me who said that. I, <laughs> I want to protect the anonymity of that good and wise person. Thank you. Um, so anyway, Thank I invited two other folks. Well, actually, I think these two folks somehow evolved the the conversation, and we decided to podcast about it. Um, I don't know that I invited either of you. It was not my idea. Maybe this time. But anyway, <laughs> here we are to talk about universal pre-K. It's in the news again. It's in yep. our politics still and again, and I'm tired. Uh, so, so we kind of, oh, what? Go ahead. Well, let you talk say, let's just set the stage for a yeah. quick second and say, so we're, we're recording this on May 4th and or we the just, 5th, and mm -hmm. we just heard President Biden's address to the country the middle of last week, yep. which was um, related to this topic but also um, spoke about something more broad, which was funding childcare. And I think there's a lot to unpack. We all oh. had very emotional reactions to that. Yeah, and what he said, and I, I heard him say it in the campaign too, was, um, and I mean school, not daycare, right. um, when he was on the topic of universal pre-K, um, right. which is- But then um, I think the pandemic took a whole lot of people up to the, to the CC words, childcare. Right? But he said it again in this address. He yeah. said school, not daycare. Yeah. Um, and I think it's when he gets off scripted, he goes into that. Um, hmm. So but anyway. But, but in all defense, and, and I'm not um, supporting universal pre-K. I want to make sure that people are aware of that. But remember, we haven't talked about early childhood in terms of politically yeah. for over four years. Yeah. Uh, and now... Um, we're talking about it. And I, I see that as at least moving in a positive direction. Yes, President Biden said some things that are not politically correct, are not necessarily what we as early childhood people um, think is important, but damn it, we're talking about it. Right. And, it's been, yep. and again, I'm not saying that to defend what he said. Yeah. I'm saying that we haven't talked about early childhood in a long time. Yeah, and uh, I, I was 100% fine not talking about it for the last yeah, four years. Yeah, like yeah. I didn't need that <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, there's people who were on uh, internet saying I'm in support of this. I'm really happy that we're finally looking at universal uh, pre-K for everyone. And then some people are saying it's going to wipe out all of the private, mm -hmm. already excellent programs. You know, yeah. so there's a real major uh, two sides. There's not a middle. Yeah. And do you agree in terms of that? There's really two sides yeah. of this uh, real issue. Yeah. Well, I would um, say there's at least three sides. I think right? there's, there's the people, there's the two sides you just mentioned. And then I think there's the people who are like the three of us who um, have a whole other set of concerns Yes. Um, that also looked at. Yeah. 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 yeah I'm, I'm okay. 
uh, what the, the part of this that I'm okay with when we're talking specifically about what Biden said in his address to Congress is um, that he said universal pre-K, but he also has a plan for universal child care and that that's being part of the conversation. And I do think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Although I think they should all read Elliot Haspel's book, Crawling Behind, to figure right. out how to do that <laughs> in a way that uh, that won't make me cry. What's the title of his book, Heather? Um, Crawling Behind, America's Child Care oh. Crisis and How to Fix It. Um, he's been on the show. He was on maybe last summer. Mm. Um, it's it's really well written. Um, and it's it's a common sense sort of Absolutely. Play, pl- uh, uh, playbook for seeing child care as a common good and um, essentially um putting a lot of public investment in it like we do schools, but not to do it like school. Um, and even, even like, I mean, I, I can't, I'm not going to tell them, you know, go through the whole book, but it's, it's really um, hard to argue with. Um, and he kind of takes both political sides and parts of his conversation. So it's a good one. And I would hope that any of your long listeners or viewers um, are able to make the connection between this topic and so many that have been discussed on your podcast over in the very least recent months, yeah. all the ones with Carol Garboden Murray mm-hmm. and care and how early childhood education, your children in their first five years of life are much better served by care mm-hmm. than by school. Right. Hopefully see the connection between that and what we're about to unpack right now. Yeah. So what we kind of talked about and what by we, I mean, Richard, um, before we hit record (laughs) was maybe just talking about some of the um, arguments for universal pre-K that we've heard and, and sort of, I don't know, bitch about them, (laughs) but in a nicer, more professional, much more intellectual way. I warned the guys I was really grouchy before we started recording. They told me to embrace it, so it's their fault if you don't like this podcast. <laughs> well, Dan, right. earlier you said that there were a lot of people that you had talked to or read about or heard from that seemed very excited about the idea. Did any of them give you specifics about why they were excited? Yes. One that come up frequently is the idea that the preschool for all meant that children and families who could not afford uh, preschool were now going to be able to get preschool. I mean, that's the argument that they use. That's not my argument, of course. But that sounds great, Dan. Why wouldn't that be a good thing? (laughs) Do tell. (laughs) Not just preschool. It's what do we classify as quality? Yes. That's the, to me, the crock of this whole thing is, Mm -hmm. is, What's because the other day, for example, the governor of Florida uh, has now initiated the fact that we are going to have preschool, quality preschool, and it's going to be funded by uh, the state. And we're going to make sure that assessments focus on literacy and math. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that kind of crap. Yeah. That kind of, you know, intellect. Um, if we can call it that, yeah. father, it bothers and concerns me as we're addressing the issue of preschool for all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people who, uh, again, are listening, who probably are still confused because they heard what you just said as literacy and math. Well, yes, we want that. So <laughs> what upset you about that, Dan? 
<laughs> fact that I want to focus on relationships. Mm-hmm. All three the, of us have that in common, yes. yes. Yeah, the ultimate quality program to me is what do they do to support relationships? And therefore, literacy, math, academic, cognition, all of that other stuff is going to happen um, easier um, than if we don't focus on relationships. And nobody, when they talk about, even in the past, when we've talked about universal preschool, because this is not a new issue. Right. This is you know, an issue that comes up frequently. And the fact that we don't focus on play uh, we don't focus on relationships. We don't focus on feelings, emotion, et cetera, and authenticity. Mm-hmm. We don't focus on that. Um, so preschool for all would not necessarily be um, a preschool for all. Mm-hmm. It would be only for um, those individuals who believe that academics are important. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. It does. It, well, and... Most often, I guess I, I, I have yet to see um, any state standards for early childhood that were developed with many early childhood people as part of that process. True. So if we're saying we're going to do universal preschool for preschool for all, and we really want to focus on literacy and math, we better have some people who understand how literacy and math works, develops what's important and what's not in these early ages that we're talking about, um, or else we're, we're wasting a lot of money. We're disrespecting children and, um, and setting some of them up for failure in the name of giving them a step up. Well, I will say I have seen that. Um, Okay. You know, um, I mean, I've, I've been on the team on at least one state's team of developing their early learning. Maybe I meant core curriculum. No, I didn't mean the early childhood standards. I'm sorry. What did you mean? The core curriculum for elementary school that gets pushed down or that people look at, like they look at the kindergarten standards and say, if we just do this in preschool earlier, they'll have that, that leg up. So um, yeah, I'm sorry, Richard, I misspoke. No, 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 it's okay. But I mean, that's a whole other aspect of this complex topic to unpack, which is the design of our national uh, public school system mm-hmm. that is designed to be sequential, to build on prior knowledge, and ultimately to serve certain purposes that we could have a whole other podcast on wondering mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go down that road and you continue to use that logic, then you start to create a curriculum in which the four-year-old curriculum builds on the three-year-old curriculum, on the two-year-old right. and on the infant and you've suddenly lost the entire understanding of the the holistic development and the neurological development that happens in the first right. five years. Right, and the way learning happens. You know, we 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 t- we'll talk all the time about how we know it's not linear and it's not separated into categories like literacy and math. Um, but then our practice doesn't always reflect that, and our our the standards of our field don't reflect that. Right. So um, so I guess I I get mad that policymakers aren't early childhood people and um, they're not involved in the decision, but there's plenty of people in the field who are also <laughs> cheerleading for this kind of early instruction. The um, other aspect of this has been discussed frequently is that um, people who are working in the field will be measured mm-hmm. by what they know about cognition 
rather than um, emotions yeah. or yeah. psychological components. Yeah. And I, I worry a lot about that because as, as we're talking about certifying, quote, uh, teachers in the field of early childhood, um, where does um, my knowledge of roughhousing come in? Uh, where, <laughs> where does my knowledge of rough and tumble play happen? Yeah. You know, those things, again, when you look at the um, criterias for accreditation and star programs, et cetera, that are already existing in most states, mm -hmm. um, we're talking about criterion that really doesn't fit what we know young children need. Um, and I'm worried that those are just going to be adapted, placed in, because they're already existed, yeah. placed in programs and call that quality. Right. Right. And if these if these preschool for all programs, universal preschool programs are to be part of a school system, then yes. they're going to have to have licensed teachers and early childhood programs, child development degrees don't have that kind of licensure. So it's going to be elementary right. education teachers. Um, some of those people who, are good people. You absolutely. Know. But yeah, they, sure, they don't get that specific training Correct. for that age group because it's Correct. not it's not their focus. Right. Yeah. Right. Doctors and dentists are both both good people, but I don't want a dentist operating on my intestines. Absolutely. Right, 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 Absolutely. right. Yes, yes. Yeah. So that's the other argument I hear. Oh, mm. there'll be higher salaries. Mm, maybe. Uh, you know, maybe. <laughs> uh, and uh, therefore, higher salaries mean more quality in the type of person serving mm -hmm. children. And we have no research to suggest. It's yeah. not that I'm opposed to giving people higher salaries, especially in the field. Yeah. But to advocate on behalf of people who don't have what I consider necessary for working with young children um, concerns me again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Agreed. So um, one that I heard recently was, um, well, this is great because if our four and five-year-olds become part of the public school system in a universal pre-K system, we'll be able to focus on doing such great things for the toddlers. And I don't believe that. I believe the toddlers would be on the receiving end of getting school readiness would be a toddler now trying to get them ready for that universal pre-K classroom in the school. Oh, I hadn't heard that one. Yeah. That was a, that was kind of, well, yeah, that was, I haven't heard that from a lot, but I did hear that um, here in the last few months or so. You know, part of what's occurring to me as I'm just listening in this conversation um, is this, you know, the whole piece that, uh, that is the, that is the, I don't know what, the funnel uh, that gets children from the world that Dan just described into kindergarten are kindergarten readiness standards, right? Mm -hmm. But then I sat here thinking, do we have first grade readiness standards or second grade readiness? We just keep pushing those kids forward, whether they're ready or not. Mm -hmm. And yet there's this guard at the gate for kindergarten that says, this is what you need. Right. And whoever trained that guard totally gave them the wrong instructions on what to look for. Yeah. 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 We just, um, just ended another semester at our preschool and did all our family conferences. And I, it's so it's just days of conversations about school readiness. And it's so frustrating because yeah. I can give them all of my, you know, my thoughts and I can back them up about what kids really need to be ready to go. And even what kindergarten teachers tell me they would like their kids, the kids to be able to do of when course. they get there. But yeah. the, the marketing and the, um, a lot of the, um, screenings and tests kids are having to take to 
to get into kindergarten, right. um, send a very different message. The other concern I have is the idea of assessment that has been suggested and hinted frequently um, that we will develop tools mm -hmm. which will uh, enhance um, the knowledge of, because we'll know what children don't know and therefore we will focus on yeah. those areas. Yeah. So it's uh, a deficit set up from the very beginning. <laughs> And I think what other age do we have? Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. yeah. What did you just say, Richard? Well, I, I mean, just to just to acknowledge what you said, Dan. That, I mean, that's you're you're absolutely right, and it's crazy. It does. There are no. There is no other age. But also, I would say, in addition to Heather was saying, it's a deficit. How did you say it? A deficit. Setup. A setup for deficit. Deficit setup. Yeah. Deficit setup. It's also a corporate based yeah. setup. Mm -hmm. because when I hear Dan use that word tools, I already start hives start popping out right. on my neck <laughs> because just like you mentioned earlier, uh, Heather, about the curriculum, who's developing those tools um, and what is their agenda? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so a lot of, a good portion of my career was spent in Washington, DC at certain national organizations that shall remain nameless. And, um, <laughs> For anyone out there who's listening who doesn't know, um, there are a lot of um, lovely, um, very wealthy people in the DC area because they are the go-to leaders, matriarchs in our field. Um, they are the go-to leaders um, for every government funded project because they're local, they're right there in the area. Um, and so there has been quite a windfall from from this handful of powerful people and the corporations they've created that stand to benefit a great deal from the creation mm -hmm. of those tools. Yeah. And it's just important that we're all aware of that aspect of it too. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to throw in another thing I've heard in this conversation yeah. and that is people doing the work in early childhood right now hearing this, these promises and these suggestions and saying, yes, we're finally going to get the respect we deserve. Right. Oh, you. <laughs> I'm waiting I to hear from you now. I, I can go again. Just fine. Because I'm thinking that is so stupid. <laughs> Excuse me, not that you are or the people right. who say it are, but the idea that um, we'll finally get the respect that we deserve mm -hmm. um, is not going to be based on universal pre-K because in most cases, uh, from what I've seen as terms of uh, what is going to be made available, doesn't support what we know for a fact is appropriate for young children and families. Mm -hmm. So I think just the opposite is going to occur that essentially what we're going to do is remove, <laughs> I'm worried that we're going to remove um, some of the things that we've already established mm -hmm. that are important for yeah. children and replace it with crap. Yeah. So what's an example of something you fear will be removed? They will remove play mm -hmm. in general. I mean, I'm being yeah. real general yep. in terms of that, but that's yeah. my biggest concern is that because play has already struggled mm -hmm. right? because it's not um, measurable in some, or people don't think it's measurable mm -hmm. in some cases. And that's not 
that the focus is, right. isn't on measurement, it, it's on making sure that things happen essentially. So I'm worried that those kinds of initiatives that we've already worked on for quite a while now, and I feel pretty good about the programs that believe in play mm -hmm. and are uh, providing it. It might be at different levels, um, but at least it's, I think it's moving in a direction uh, that like for schools and loose parts and all of those terminologies, I don't believe are going to be part of this no. universal pre-K approach. And someone suggested that in a comment thread um, earlier what? this week that that um, these places would be very academic focused and we would lose play. And a couple of other people said, that's so pessimistic, pessimistic. I don't think that you can make that broad statement. I was like, what have you seen in our current reality that makes you think that's overly pessimistic <laughs> that that would happen? I, I get people who are they like, well, maybe we- our programs in each state. Yeah. I mean, if you even yeah. look at what's already existing in some agencies, yeah. um, it, it, the measurement, yeah. Or what is, it's just so far-fetched. Yeah. yeah. The other thing yeah, I want to say when it, people say we're finally going to get the respect we deserve is what are you seeing about elementary school teachers that make you think they get the respect they right. deserve? Like, <laughs> that's not, a, that's not something that we've established there. So how does us joining them get us there? <laughs> so, oh gosh, there's, again, there's, this conversation could go down so many different roads. There's so much to unpack. Yeah. But you know, as we've often said on this podcast, people get into this field because they remember their teachers. They don't really remember back far enough to their early childhood years yeah, and they want to be a teacher mm -hmm. yeah. and they have friends who are teachers and, and are certified as teachers and are unionized as teachers. And, um, that's really attractive. Mm -hmm. I mean, I need to feed my family and I can't do it on $11 and 34 cents an hour, but my friend is making you know, what, $36,000, $45,000 as a first grade teacher. I deserve that. Mm -hmm. And if that means I have to do more teacherly things with these kids, they'll be all right. I, I can't know. blame them for that line of thought. No, I can't as either. As a child advocate, it scares the hell out of yes, me. Yes, exactly. That's what I was just going to say. I, yeah. I don't blame them for that. I, I've certainly been in a position where, you know, just a few thousand extra dollars would have made so sure. much difference. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but when you look at it from the, yeah, but we're in this for, you know, making sure we're doing the right thing for children. So what do we have to sacrifice? Uh -huh. What compromises do we have to make? And how will that affect the children we came into this, into this work? It, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a dilemma. I'll just say that it's a dilemma. Uh, and you know, I'm always like the anti-bias guy and at every podcast, I always have to like, feel like I, it's part of my life's commitment to bring this into the mm -hmm. conversation is, uh, you know, when we talk about preschool for all and, and, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, serving everybody, um, which segments of our society might even benefit from that sort of a curriculum and an assessment tool. And might there be systems in place in our society that are right out of the gate going to set up um, children of poverty, children of less means, children uh, who uh, of color, uh, who mm -hmm. 
and I'm not making a broad statement about groups of color, but there is, we know that there is a statistical connection between poverty and, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. color. And so um, we already have systems in place. We know this, where, where um, schools funding is defined by um, the community they're in and how mm -hmm. they score on tests. Mm -hmm. And if we bring that into early childhood, which it already is where, you know, when pre, where pre-K is part of the public school system, mm -hmm. um, it's only certain segments of society that, or rather certain segments of society lose out far more than others. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that um, then what people come back with is, well, what about like the Ypsilanti study in Michigan where they, you know, 20 years, 30 years ago, however long, maybe it was 40 years ago now, where they, um, uh, you know, follow, they had these children who came from poverty. And I think many of them were children of color and they participated in this um, early childhood program. And we saw all these longitudinal gains um, and improvements because they had been part of that program, but it wasn't, it was a care program. If you really look at what they were doing, it was like a care and a play program that also addressed how can we how can we relieve some of the stressors of poverty on these for these families? And so it's not just, oh, we opened up a preschool classroom and we um, did numbers and letters and, and shapes, and now they're going to live crime-free and <laughs> graduate from high school and have all these great gains. Um, it, it's much broader than that. But especially now when we're saying school, not daycare, and we have this research. Well, the research is not school. Like the research wasn't done in a school. Uh -huh. Well, and you look at the foundations of the head, of head Start, right? Yeah. I mean, at that, you know, originally the whole way that children, those children were going to get a Head Start was to have support for their social and emotional development. And food for their families and support right. for their parents. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, that got lost along the way, mm -hmm. in, in my experience. Yeah, yeah, I, Richard, I, I want to compliment what you said is the fact that it's important to realize that if we're really talking about preschool for all, um, that does that mean that we are bringing everybody to a particular standard? Yeah, rather than looking at where someone is, where the family is. And again, it doesn't matter what color, what race, which gender, but taking a look at uh, where people are and what we can do to support them where they are, rather than bringing them to a standard that everybody is going to be acting and behaving like and et cetera, would not be respectful mm -hmm. of right. any form of diversity program. Right, because that standard is, a white middle-class standard. Absolutely. <laughs> Where we're trying yeah. to get them to, we're trying to teach them to be white middle-class kids. Right. Yep. Um, by inflicting that culture on them earlier and earlier. Right, right. So is there anything good about universal pre-K? Because so far we've got, is there anything good about it? Because that's well, another thing that people are going to want to yeah. hear. I'll I tell mean, you one thing I thought of earlier in this conversation. Yeah. Okay. It was during a negative part, but I just it popped in my head as a positive. Uh, you know, my last position before this one was a director of a large childcare center in Vermont. And when Heather was talking about bringing it down and then, and then focusing on the toddlers and that line of thought, um, I can say in my role as a director, um, there were so many hoops to jump through 
to get early intervention services for my preschoolers because mm -hmm. in order to do that, you had to contact the school district in which those children right. were going to go to in their futures and have someone come out from that school district, if that school district even had that program, mm -hmm. um, to make that determination. And um, so most often children did not get services. Theoretically, if those same children were part of a larger system to begin with, maybe they would have more access to those early intervention services uh, and, and, and the fund, you know, and what funds funds them, maybe. Maybe. You know, the only, the only positive that I can come up with right now is if you're, you know, that struggling parent who can't afford to pay for another year of childcare and someone's offered you some free preschool in the school building that your kids go, your other kids go to. You know, right. that's maybe some relief for that family, but um, still not what I would hope for for that family. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, and Richard, also the fact that I, I love the idea that children perhaps might have an early, earlier identification of perhaps the needs that need to be addressed. The opposite of that, I'm trying not to keep it negative, but the yeah. opposite of that is sometimes the programs that I've currently observed um, expect higher levels of standards uh, for children of special needs than they do for children who are not mm -hmm. special needs. So right. is this going to be more that? <laughs> you know, again, I agree that we need better intervention services mm -hmm. or more of it um, would be, and I'm hoping that this would uh, provide for that. Um, I'm just concerned that who sets those standards again, mm -hmm. right? In terms, of, I mean, like Heather said, who are they going to ask to develop um, the curriculums for these universal pre-K programs? Mm -hmm. It could be a body of people who are very knowledgeable and understanding and recognize. Um, <laughs> that's not been the history. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I see that as a positive, maybe bringing people together to talk about early childhood and in the way it needs to be addressed. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can tell you those, those, the people who hold the reins of power in DC are often so disconnected from what's really yeah. happening in our field across sure. the country. Yeah. And that's part of what shook me to my boots when I was right. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, just to, again, frame it from an anti-bias standpoint, I know I'm a broken record on this one, but, you know, we live in a misogynistic, patriarchal society. What? Surprise! This is news to me. <laughs> <laughs> and we are in, we all are, find ourselves in a field that is driven primarily by female power. And so, uh, and, you know, and has been for over a century. Um, and so um, there's already, we're already set up for failure mm -hmm. uh, in that when you take into consideration the context in which our field exists, it's, you just see that it's not likely uh, that the people who are going to be put on those committees and who are going to fund them and who choose all those things um, aren't going to pick any of us three or, <laughs> or anyone who's really had their feet on the ground in the field to have a sizable role there. Yeah. 
Um, but the, you know, then the other thing I would comment on is you've used uh, Heather. I think you used, or maybe Dan too, use the word standards a couple times uh -huh. in this conversation. And um, you know, I would hope that all of your listeners, as we sit here in 2021, and everything that we've all been through for a long time, but particularly in the last couple of years, are waking up to the fact that we live in a very non-standard world. <laughs> Yes. Um, and trying to standardize it is the wrong direction for us as a society. And it's a myth. Like it just can't be done. Yeah, right, right? Right, it's right. not just the wrong, the wrong goal. It's, it's an impossible goal to right. standardize any group of people. Um, but I would think, especially the young ones who are still, you know, you know, they've got 24 months, 36 months of experience on earth. And we want them to to master all these skills to be just like everyone else so that we can just keep this march going smoothly. Uh -huh. And I think what's so painful for the three of us and people like us is that while all of this has been playing out for decades that, and we've been watching it, the other thing that's been happening concurrently is um, all the science you know, that um, Bev Boss taught me to respect and look at and start from. And um, we've watched it unfold for decades now. We know more than we ever have mm -hmm. about what young human beings need, about what young brains need. Yeah. And it and is even crazy that making to know that and see the opposite occurring in our exactly. world. Exactly. And even all that new brain development that is fairly new to us is supporting that rich history that that Bev, you know, had and that you're talking about and that we've had and in, instead, we, we've taken this brain research and we've tried to make our traditional schoolification fit somehow, instead of saying, oh, wait, maybe this is supporting that other way that we've been poo-pooing for so long. Right, right. I, I'm about to say something that, uh, yeah. <laughs> Get <laughs> some bones, Dan. But but you know, I, I get. But there are currently major early childhood organizations that will probably support the idea of universal pre-K. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that is because of what Richard said earlier. Um, it's a corporation. It's a money-making project. Um, and there's money to be made. Let's face it, there's money to be made. I am concerned that those agencies, and it's a very large one, um, NAYC, who would... <laughs> you just said it out loud, Dan. <laughs> I said it out loud. Who already sure. has set up standards and criteria and accreditation process, in my opinion, has not really taken a careful look at um, things that are really relevant uh, and natural uh, for children. My concern is that they are perhaps going to be part of the decision makers mm -hmm. um, of where this is going. And again, I'm not implying that everything that NYC does is, is bad. I'm right. suggesting that again, what I've seen in other states have developed based on the criteria mm -hmm. would not be something that I would be comfortable with yeah. supporting. Yeah, they're not immune no. from a little critical thinking. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, again, tired, I can... I'm tired of counting how many blocks. I'm tired of yeah. you have to have certain kinds. Of, I'm tired of that. 
Yeah. And right. uh, that's my concern when we talk about standard again, is that what this means? That mm -hmm. everybody's going to have to have the same kinds of things and curriculum mm -hmm. um, to work on. And it doesn't fit everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it never will, like you said, Heather, it never yeah. will. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't. Right. All right, Richard, your turn. You were going to say something. Oh, I've already had seven thoughts since then. I okay. <laughs> I'll pick one um, and say it. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I said this on a previous podcast when I was talking about my experience, my current experience teaching community college. And well, I've said to Heather privately, my college just went through its NAEYC higher ed accreditation process. Mm -hmm. And I spent much of the last year of my life um, on those seven standards and organizing all of our pieces of evidence to make sure that um, we showed, you know, uh, evidence of mm -hmm. meeting those seven standards. And um, there's a whole lot to me, there's a whole lot of insanity of that entire way of thinking yes. and the system that's been created around that way of thinking. Um, and these are the people, as Dan um, mentioned earlier, who were training to go into our field. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's not only is it a myth that we can standardize young children's experiences, we also can't standardize the experiences of the people who will work That's with right. young children. Yes. And yes. we're doing both of those things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And our beloved NAEYC spearheads both of those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> I get to start that process in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I'll, I'll throw out there also just to hear what you all think about this. This is not a good thing, a concern. Uh -huh. But, you know, people have said to me, so I, I have a lot of, we probably all do, but I have a lot of um, people in the world of family child care and yes. home-based settings mm -hmm. <clears throat> that reach out to me. And President Biden's speech scared the hell out of them. Yes. Because even though he mentioned child care in there, this it's, it's clear that there's got to be some way to, you know. So when I said earlier, we live in a patriarchal society, one of the things that means is that we value the dollar, mm -hmm. that things are about, everything is uh, the, the, the spoke of the wheel or whatever mm -hmm. is money and the spending of money. And so right. therefore um, you have to have all those evaluation tools to make sure that the money is being spent appropriately and apportioned correctly. Um, and so, uh, you know, these, these family childcare providers are saying, you know, if that's where this country's headed, where does that leave me? Mm -hmm. um, and my little business I have going out of my home. Yep. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's an, not only- it's And some of the most beautiful them, early childhood experiences are happening in those family childcare homes. That's right, right. right. Yeah. So not only is it, uh, do I, my, does my heart go out to them and their own personal fears for their business and their passion and their family, mm -hmm. but also those children yeah. are getting what we know is some of the best uh, experiences, early experiences. Yeah. And those are the experiences that are being threatened with extinction. Yeah. So I guess everyone listening needs to buy a copy of Elliot Haspel's book, Crawling Behind, America's Child Care Crisis, Know How to Solve It, How to Fix It, and mail it to the White House. 
and maybe if they get 500 copies, they'll look at it (laughs) because he does talk about that, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Um, and, and there's value in all of these settings and parent preference and comfort needs to be taken into consideration and family needs and second shift people and third shift people. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just, again, we can't standardize it because of the vast humanity that is part of it. But Heather, might your perspective be skewed? Might you possibly have a crush on Elliot Haspel and that's why you're saying these things? No, that's Houston Craft. I can't keep track of all of your crushes. No, Elliot hasn't reached crush level yet, but I do really have a lot of respect for this book. I I hear it coming. Hope they're all listening. Yes. This did get me into trouble before. All right, you boys talk. <laughs> well, you know, I guess one of the things we haven't talked about is so we, we've railed against universal pre-K, right? Yes. And said all the things we're scared of or concerned about. But then the next question people are going to ask us is, okay, so if not that, what should we be doing? Mm-hmm. I'm hoping Dan knows the answer to that one because I don't have a clue. <laughs> I wish I had an answer. I do know that perhaps we need to Uh, evolve into a climate that says early childhood is important. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't want to argue anymore whether or not it's daycare or childcare or babysitting. And we've already done that. Let's get over (laughs) the terminology and move into uh, what we decide is important for children and families and then start and in some cases, there are many people who are already doing this, but, you know, to look at, take a look at that and say, okay, how do I get more of that? How do I keep people in the field that are supporting mm-hmm. that, which in, in, in salary is part of, yes. you know, paying them more yeah. is definitely a part of that. It's also making sure that we include families in, in the decision uh, making and, and helping them realize that, you know, that they are an important part of that. And I think looking at creating the universal approach of of looking at any researching and evolving and changing um, is a good thing, Mm -hmm. um, but not universal pre-K. Looking at it in a way that makes things important and, and then decide based on that, what do I need to do to change? But to start without looking at what already exists, that's important. Yeah. Um, it, and, and then move on to how do we create more of that um, is to me more important than starting again a program where everybody has to, um, to match and, and meet. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that that's not the answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, but I think yeah. the answer is looking at how are we different and what's what's good about that differences. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. So what we can agree on is that um, uh, we all agree that more funding should be channeled to the first five years of life. Yes. We could yes. Discuss, we could say it's because it's an economic investment. We could say it's because it's a human investment. Mm-hmm. We've had those conversations on this podcast, too. right? But we're all in agreement. More funding needs to head towards the first years of life. Yes. Then the question becomes, how much, how does it get spent? Who decides how it gets spent? 
and what criteria do they use and who created that criteria? I don't know how to so. tell you this at this point in the conversation, but it's all outlined yeah. in that book. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot, <laughs> Elliot talked about all of that. <laughs> We'll have him on the show and then have Dan and I on at the same time. We'll get him again. All right. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. It would be. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm thinking that why, you know, Richard, why not ask the people who are doing it how much it's going to take? Mm -hmm. um, you know, we all know that if we keep adults consistently in the field to move forward in their growth, we are going to have a better early childhood. I mean, I would agree. I would bet my life on it that yeah, if right. we um, and we didn't evaluate it based on okay, this person is is better, so I'm going to give that person more money. I'm not talking about that. I'm looking at what is it that they need, uh, and I know that an, an increase in salary is part of that. Um, and 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 looking at having them be involved in that process gives them ownership. We're going to keep them. Um, longer because as you know you know we're 80 percent of the field changes yearly yeah. is the latest statistic and no wonder you know we're, we're so raffled <laughs> uh, and uh, in search of standard standardization because it's easier for those new people who are coming in five times a year exactly. to pick up a standardized set of things and, and implement it yeah but we don't talk to people i mean we brought up the family child care home issue. We don't talk to people enough about what they need and, and what's important and how do they want to continue with the kind of quality that they have. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to bring them together and have them make part of the decisions for change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> True, yeah. And I would suggest that there are people in positions of power uh, who very specifically don't want to invite those people yes. into the conversation yeah. for a variety of reasons, yeah. but primarily it's because they want to hold on to their power and the money that goes with it. Yeah. Right, right, right. Hmm. You know, but then the other piece of this complex math equation, and oh my, <laughs> I, I want nothing to do with math, but right. I have to put it out there, is how do you do all of that? How do you acknowledge that this field takes a, a unique high level of skills, knowledge, and dispositions, and pay these professionals accordingly, and keep it affordable for parents who are, who are in dire need of child care, mm -hmm. of, you know, because to me, you know, I don't know, I, I don't need to probably go down this road, because Dan said we're past it, but, and you're right, <laughs> but the thing is, I've never understood the difference between child care and preschool. You've got a group of young children, you spend their day you spend, they spend their days with you. They're playing, they're learning. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me what you call it. It's all the same. It's well, see Richard preschool sort of happens goal. between nine and 11 and, uh, and, and the adult has to be in charge for the real learning. And then the rest is childcare. Right. <laughs> yeah, Making my pink eye itch more. <laughs> you know, we're not supposed to compare ourselves to other countries, but Sweden has been doing this. No well. kidding. For Pete's sakes, why can't we look at what they're doing and saying, all right, what can we do and what can't we do in this country right. um, that fits? And part of it is the kind of support that families are given 
in Sweden, both Absolutely. moms, dads, guardians, etc. The kind of support that they are given um, in making decisions even about what's best for their child mm-hmm. um, is something that I think we really seriously need to look at. Right. It's not like we don't have some models uh, of what we right. can do. Yeah. So another part of the problem is that we're so Amerocentric here. Yes. That we don't think that little old country of Sweden has anything to offer us. They're uh, socialists. <laughs> right? I mean, why does Finland not start reading instruction until age seven? Is there something we could look at? Nope, because I need my kid to get into the right pre- high school, to get in the right yeah. college, to get the right job. We don't have time to wait till they're seven. Yeah. 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 Oh, boy. That's a whole other show, guys. Right. I know. You say this every time, Heather. I know. I, and, and, then I, and then I lose the, the list. The other shows, and then you lose the, your... That's exactly my system. Time. That is your system. Well, maybe you should start writing the ideas down then, mister. That's my job. I understand you're still looking for an unpaid intern. That is true, too. <laughs> Lots of that. that is true. I, I'm surprised I get no takers. I post that annually. <laughs> The unpaid nerd intern. Um, Okay, well, I feel like this could go another hour, uh, but we've been going for almost an hour, so we probably need to wrap it up. This happened with Dan and Lisa and I the other day. We were like, what, it's been maybe 20 minutes? It's been an hour. (laughs) That's shocking. (laughs) Right, right. So thank you guys both. Um, uh, uh, Clearly, we need to keep having some of these conversations, Um, and, and I hope that we'll get some some comments and some feedback on the episode too and maybe there's more questions that we can bring to another episode so um so thank you both for being here and uh for being super fun to talk to even when i'm grouchy (laughs) thanks (laughs) and thanks everybody for listening to another episode we'll see you next week